if you want to break a genre in popular culture, you have to make a star. And I think if you make a star, it's an anomaly. But if you make a few stars, then it's a movement and the movement has momentum. Welcome, everybody. This is For the Love of Money, where we are making you unapologetic about your pursuit of success by sharing the tools, tips, and stories of those who have already made it. My name is Chris Harder, and each week I will bring you incredible guests in order to prove that when good people make good money, they do great things. Hey, everyone, welcome back to another amazing episode of For the Love of Money. You are in for a treat today because you are about to hear from my friend in Q, the famous spoken word poet in Q. Now, if you've ever heard him in person or came across his art online, I know you've been hooked and I know you've gone down the rabbit hole of listening to his stuff just like I have. So it's a huge privilege to have NQ on here. If you haven't come across him yet, NQ is a National Poetry Slam champion, an award-winning poet and multi-platinum songwriter. As a matter of fact, what a lot of people don't know about NQ is that he wrote the single Love You Like a Love Song that was sang by Selena Gomez. And that went multi-platinum, winning him a BMI award. How cool is that? He's written songs for artists like Aloe Black, Miley Cyrus, Mike Posner, Foster the People, like really awesome artists that you listen to. He is some of the magic behind a lot of those songs. Even cooler, he's been named to Oprah's Super Soul 100 list of the world's most influential thought leaders. Think about how exclusive and beautiful that list is. Uh, he's inspired audiences around the world through his, his live performances and storytelling. That's where I found him through a mutual friend of ours, Lewis. Uh, saw him live and I was hooked from that moment on. So it's no wonder that NQ's had as much success as he has had so far. We're going to chat about his new book, Inquire Within, which is a really cool concept of how to put your art into a book that tells an overreaching story as well. And quite honestly, this ends up being one of my favorite episodes ever because we address everything from starving artist syndrome to being present and grateful for what you do have to realize your abundance to doing what you love in life instead of what you have to do in life and so much more. As a matter of fact, I even get him to recite a few of my favorite spoken word poems. So you're in for a real treat. I would say this. I would say, listen up, get really present, drop everything else that you're doing because I can promise you that this episode is absolutely magic. All right. In cue, my friend, welcome to the show. How are you doing, man? Fantastic, man. Thank you for having me. It is an absolute pleasure. I know what kind of treat everybody is in for. I'm definitely going to hit you up to share a little bit of your art, if you don't mind. And uh, we're just going to have a, a great conversation about what it's like to be this, and this is me speaking, icon in the poetry and even music oh, world. Stop. I'm serious, <laughs> man. I'm serious. It's awesome. So I want to kick this Thank thing you. off with some rapid fire. It's just a fun way for people to get to know you quickly. And if something really good comes up, we'll circle back around, do a deep dive. You in? Great. All right. Real easy. Where'd you grow up? Santa Monica, California. Ooh, the rough streets of Santa Monica, California. You know, yeah. that's where Lori and I live now, right? Uh, I did know that. Yeah. 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 It's changed a lot. There's many mornings. This is really ironic. I know I said rapid fire and here I am blowing it already. But there's many mornings that I will go on a walk, listen to some of your stuff mm. while I'm walking around Santa Monica. And I never put two and two together until you just said this is where you grew up. That's some full circle stuff right there. Yeah, I grew up on uh, Lincoln and Bay Street. Awesome. We were there for, I mean, in most all of my early life until I, I guess around 12. And then we actually got robbed pretty bad. Wow. And, uh, it's kind of a personal thing. Like yeah. the person had some beef with my mom. And so they ended up like, it was pretty rough actually. They like cut her clothes and dumped water all over her couch and her love seat. And, wow. you know, anything that they didn't take, including my Nintendo and baseball cards, they destroyed. And um, it, was, uh, it was a thing. So then we ended up moving to uh, Berkeley Street. Okay. And that was where I grew up for, for the other half of my childhood. Man, that's crazy. And for the listeners, where do you live now? Uh, right now we're in West Hollywood, 
but we've been looking for a house. Uh, the market is pretty crazy out mm-hmm. there, but there's a, there's a lot going on in the market in general right now. So I think um, we're going to see a lot of changes because there's a lot of uncertainty. Yeah, I couldn't agree with that more. What's one of your favorite quotes? And of all the people I've ever asked this question to, I'm curious to get your answer. Uh, follow the path and the path will lead the way. Ah, love it. What's I really, the- really like that because the path is uh, you know, your enthusiasm. Mm-hmm. And so if you're following your enthusiasm, then all you need to do is take the next step and have faith. We're definitely going to circle back around on that because I think people lose that path of enthusiasm when they get caught up into turning their art into a business. So we'll definitely circle back on that. What's one of your superpowers? What is one of my superpowers? I would say questioning myself and the world, mm. which is uh, you know, not only my superpower, but also my kryptonite. Yeah. And like anything else, we have to balance those two things out because they're two sides of the same coin. Boy, but that's where your, your material comes from. The way that you question everything. You've made me question different things once I've heard your poems. So never lose that. That is a superpower for sure. Mm. Even uh, if I wanted to lose it, you could. trust me. <laughs> it's, <laughs> in my, it's in my DNA, but uh, I'm also really grateful for it. You know, even, even the many years that I was an insomniac and I was just couldn't shut my mind off before I would go to bed, uh, all of those were valuable for me putting in my hours as an artist and uh, getting to know myself on a, on a deeper level. That's and amazing. now I, I can sleep like a baby. That's amazing. And I'm glad you're getting your sleep. It's so important. A couple more here. What are your favorite accomplishments this far? Um, what are my favorite accomplishments thus far? Well, there's like the career accomplishments. And um, I'm really, really proud of this book that we have coming out in Choir Within um, with uh, Harper One, which is the spiritual division of HarperCollins. So they do The Alchemist and The Four Agreements, all of these books that I'm a fan of and that I have on my coffee table and that have been really meaningful to me over the years. And finally, having a home for my art, putting all of my poems into one place and holding it in my hand. I'm literally like, I'm looking at it right now, you know, and to be able to like hold all of my art in one place is really a beautiful experience. But I would say more than that, it's just being comfortable in my own skin. Yeah. You know, I feel like, uh, you know, with various degrees of success and failure, I show up as my authentic self as much as I possibly can. And my actions are aligned with my thoughts and my emotions. And um, I try to do what I say. And I'm proud of that. It took a long time. I love that. Uh, Two more quick ones here. What is something generous you've done recently? What is something generous that I've done recently? Um, Well, I like to donate to different things. Unfortunately, I don't like the fact that we have to donate to all of these disasters that are out there. But... Um, that's certainly something that I did recently with the wildfires in Australia. So. I love that. And then last but not least, what are you grateful for today? Uh, I'm grateful for this conversation, man. I had a great day so far. I woke up, my girlfriend and I walked to uh, get a green juice and had a really nice conversation and we're laughing the whole entire way. And, um, you know, and then I'm happy to be chatting with you now. And uh, I'm just grateful to be alive, man. You know? That's the best. You and me, I, I totally agree with you. Like, if you can just be present and be grateful for this moment, whatever this moment, even if it's a moment teaching you, and I think this is where it gets tough for people. If you can even be grateful for the moments that you know are stretching you and teaching you, then you're going to be a happy individual in the long run. Yeah. I mean, it's necessary to find gratitude in every situation. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe not right away. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like I, I believe in the law of attraction, but I'm not like a proponent that everything is good all the time. Yeah. Like it's all good all the time. Everything's <laughs> good. No, I'm good. I'm good, bro. I'm good. I don't, I don't do that. Like I think the human experience is to have the ups and downs and you wouldn't even know happiness without a comparison point of sadness and anger and jealousy and all that stuff. So I think there is a difference between acknowledging those things and uh, allowing them to pass through you or creating something with it rather than destroying something with it. And that's the process of alchemy. Uh, Rather than ignoring those things and pushing them down and suppressing them, and then they wind up coming out in traffic or becoming disease or something like that. And so I want to be grateful for all of my emotions and all of my experiences, whether or not I can understand them. But I also want to give myself the time to grieve or to move through whatever it is that's there. 
I love that. You know, that's a great segue to go a little deeper in the interview right now because I want to say I'm grateful that I found you and I found you through our, our buddy Lewis. And love Lewis. I've got to have this moment of honesty right now. So you have made poetry mainstream so that people like myself can find it and enjoy it. And if I'm being fully transparent, before I was introduced to you, there was no reason I would Google poetry. There was no reason I would intentionally seek out poetry. It just it wasn't on my radar. And then I come across you and I start going down this Google rabbit hole trying to find more of your stuff online. And then I start looking who else is out there. Right. And sadly, I didn't find that many more poets, at least spoken word, especially the way you do it, that hooked me the way that you hook me. So my first question would be, where are the rest of the guys and the girls like you doing what you're doing? They're all over the place, man. It's not a, a matter of a lack of talent. It's a matter of a lack of exposure. Mm. I mean, some of my best art experiences that I've ever had were sitting in the audience watching another poet on stage. You know, from Shion the Poet to Omari Hardwick to Saul Williams, the Essica Saldago to Rudy Francisco, Lemon Anderson. There are so many amazing, amazing poets out there. Um, but you have to be introduced to them because it's harder for them to find a platform to step into the spotlight. Why is that? And how do we fix that? I think if you want to break a genre in popular culture, you have to make a star. And I think if you make a star, it's an anomaly. Mm -hmm. But if you make a few stars, then it's a movement and the movement has momentum. And uh, you know, when I was coming up, poetry was new and it was fresh and it was creative in every possible way. And I was absolutely hooked. It was the first time I'd ever been in environments where people were fully celebrated for being vulnerable, mm -hmm. for telling their truth, for standing up for what they believe in without any music or jokes or other people that they were bouncing off of on stage or a script. There was nothing else to get in the way. It was just the person and what they thought and what they felt and what their voice sounded like. Mm. And it was really transcendent to me and I was completely hooked. Um, and then, you know, I was at the Poetry Lounge, which is uh, just south of uh, Melrose on Fairfax at the Greenway Court Theater. And every Tuesday night, you would have 250 to 350 people who would show up to watch poets and MCs get up and express themselves. And it was like church without religion, man. That's amazing. So I would just kind of get up. And at the time I was rapping, you know, I started out rapping when I was a kid. And so I was just doing my rapping acapella. I was like 19 at the time. And uh, over the years, that community became a family. And, you know, we ended up being on Deaf Poetry Jam together and winning the National Poetry Slam Championships. And uh, one day I woke up and I realized I was more of a poet than an MC, and that was where the journey began. But it took me a really long time to figure out how to monetize it mm -hmm. and to create a structured business around what I did without losing my artistic integrity. Um, and I think all of the success that poetry had when I was coming up, it never quite translated to the mainstream because people became fans of deaf poetry or they became fans of you know, slam poetry. Um, but they never really became fan of a poet, like in terms of like, this poet is going on Jimmy Fallon or opening up for Saturday Night Live or on the cover of Rolling Stone or anything like that. And I think if that happened, then uh, as I said, the momentum would take care of itself. And I'm just like super grateful that I'm a small part of what that wave is now because I believe in the art form. You're very humble when you say you're a small part of what that wave is that's that's starting to happen. But if you set the that humble attitude aside for a moment, is there part of you that not only hopes but feels a responsibility to maybe become that star to put this on the map? Um, it's an interesting question. I feel a responsibility to myself to do the very best art that I can. And... Uh, you know, to express it in the purest possible form so that I am basically the vehicle and the obstacle for my art. You know, I have to continue to show up. It comes through my thoughts, my experiences, my voice, but I'm also the obstacle because my ego actually gets in the way of the communication that the poems are seeking and that the deeper part of me is seeking, you know? So if I'm thinking about validation when I'm writing, 
you know, I'm actually not going to say what the poem wants to say. If I'm thinking about validation when I'm performing, I'm not going to express the deeper meaning of what the poem wants to say. How often is that so, happening, by the way, not to interrupt you, but how often are you struggling between writing for validation and writing for the real message? Well, all the time, both of those things are going to be in the same place. Mm-hmm. There, there's no way to remove your ego. Your ego is a part of your humanity. Mm-hmm. I mean, th- there's the spiritual reality and there's the physical reality. And both are true. Mm-hmm. You know, in, in the physical reality, I'm talking to you right now. I'm in my dining room. You know, there's the painting behind me. My arms are resting against the table. I'm sitting in the chair. I can fear, feel the weight of the gravity holding me down. You know, I took a breath into my chest right now. I mean, we're talking. I want people to buy my book. Mm-hmm. You know, I want people to be impacted positively and influenced positively on the art that I've spent 25 years making, yeah. you know, and I want these things. And that is a, a real physical reality that I'm living in. We're separate. If someone tried to attack me, I would defend my life, mm-hmm. right? These are all real things. Uh, and yet, simultaneously, in the spiritual world, <laughs> I mean, it's pretty much infinite in and infinite out. Almost everything around us is really truly empty space. Yeah. You know, and when you erase the separation in the physical reality, we're all just vibrating energy. Mm-hmm. We're literally in a sea of consciousness. Yep. And if you change your frequency, you will change what you're attracted to and what you're attracting. So both of those things are simultaneous truths. There's no way to remove one from the other for me. Um, so it's just the awareness of it so that I, I can always try to come back to what I think is more important, which is mirroring back the human experience onto the audience. Yeah, that's incredible. That's, by the way, it's one of the best ways I think anyone's ever described that parallel uh, existence of, hey, we have this physical responsibility and also we're really just a whole bunch of energy and here's how it works. And we're kind of battling through those two things happening at the exact same time. And, and it, yeah. It's, it's, and I'm, it's I'm a talking to myself. You dissect it, you know? Thank you, man. Yeah. And I didn't mean to cut you off, but I just wanted to say I'm talking to myself too. It's not like I am saying that to other people to enlighten them. No, I'm, I'm saying it as a reminder to myself. There, there, that's why I said there's no way to separate them. It's not like you become you know, aware of it and then all of a sudden you're at a destination. It's a lifelong process. Really? And, uh, yeah. Earlier in your answer, uh, you mentioned in the physical world, you have to monetize these poems. Do you remember the first time that you actually got paid to do this? Uh, I don't remember specifically the first time that I got paid uh, as a poet, uh, but I remember, I mean, I struggled for many, many, many years, man. I mean, you know, like I went to college right out of high school, I went to San Fran State for a year. But I wasn't paying attention. I wasn't interested. I was never a really good student. Um, and then I came back. I was at SMC for like six months. I was so bored, man. I, I didn't like it. I didn't know what I wanted. So of course, I like majored in communications, yeah. whatever yeah. the fuck that is, right? <laughs> um, by the way, no diss to people who are majoring in communications if you love it. But yeah. I didn't even know what it was. You know, it was just sounded like something I could do. When and, I went to school, uh, by the way, we're, I think we're the same age. Communications was what, what you took when you didn't know what you wanted to do. That or business. That was it. Yeah, just too generic. Yeah. Right. Because it gave you the widest net, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then I, just, I, I actually got in a fist fight on campus. And I was like, I was kind of a y- angry younger guy. And I was, I was just like, fuck this, I'm out. And I just left. And I basically didn't come back. And, uh, and then I started pursuing my art. And, and from that point on, I mean, I was still probably 19 or something. I, I didn't make any money in any significant way until I was past 30. And when you're like in your you know, younger 20s and you're you know, a struggling artist, it's kind of cool. But man, when you can't pay for dinner and you're like, you know, past 30, it's, it's really like, it, it was a lot. So I was trying to figure out how to transition into a way where I could make money and and just you know rather than scraping by and um and during those years that i was struggling man i remember like somebody would pay me 50 dollars for a show one time some dude said he was going to pay me 50 dollars for a show 
and he didn't pay me. And I, sh- I showed up at his house. No. Yeah, I needed that. <laughs> and that was kind of, you know, me for a long time. And then, um, you know, I ended up getting a publishing deal uh, by this amazing company that, you know, have, has become a family for me as well called Rock Mafia. And they're like a songwriting duo. And in my early 30s, I, I was able to get a publishing deal with them. And I, write, I started writing songs yeah. um, for pop artists. And I randomly, because of their connections and their talent, um, the team that we had, I ended up having a lot of success in that. And that was what allowed me the financial foundation to rechoose poetry and to have the freedom to rechoose it, you know, without desperation. Because I'm so passionate about this art form. And so then when I pursued it, I kept putting on public shows. Eventually, long story long, I met my manager, Kevin Heckmet, and, uh, and we started to, as I said, build a business around it without losing my artistic integrity. That's amazing. So this starving artist syndrome that I hear so much about, it's a very real thing. Does it have to be a real thing? Can people monetize themselves sooner, whether they're a singer, whether they're an artist, whether they're a poet, whether they design you know, physical clothing, why is there this stigma of the starving artist and can we do something about it? Do you have to starve in order to earn your your right to be great, so to speak? No, not at all. I, I don't believe you have to starve in order to do anything. And I actually, I, I'm like somebody that doesn't believe that you have to continue to create more suffering in your life as like a means to create from. Yeah. You know, um, a lot of people believe that, mm-hmm. you know, and so they actually pursue their own suffering because it gives them fuel to create, but it's an unsustainable fuel source. Yeah, yeah I would imagine um, that'd be wearing. You'd burn out using that as fuel. You would, and, and many people do. Yeah. I, you know, so I don't think, no, I don't think you have to starve, but also I would say like the tools are different these days. You know, uh, creators have so much more power mm-hmm. because of technology. They can get directly to their audience. They can create something very quickly and get it exposed. When we were coming up, it was very different, man. You know, you needed the middle person. Mm-hmm. So if you wanted to get signed, you needed to meet a fucking A&R. Yep. And if you didn't know an A&R, I mean, what were you going to do? You were going to keep making demos mm-hmm. and trying to send it out. You would, you know, perform at showcases or, you know, throw your own shows. But that's different than an artist now creating something that's undeniable putting it out on the internet and finding their audience. And then they're able to monetize it. And that is in every area of art and business. Mm-hmm. Entrepreneurship is so much easier, I think, now than it's ever been. Now, that doesn't make it an easy path, yeah. um, but there is a, a path. <laughs> it's interesting you just said that. Are you an artist or are you an entrepreneur or are you both? I'm both, but I didn't know that for uh, a very long time. I remember I was actually with my buddy Elliot and uh, this was probably like seven years ago or something like that. And we were hanging out and he's an entrepreneur. And uh, I mean, I don't even think I had ever had consciousness of what an entrepreneur was growing up. You know, that wasn't something that anybody was talking about, you know, for around me or anything like that. Um but Elliot and I were close and he, he was talking about himself and he was like, you know, being an entrepreneur like us. And then he just continued with the conversation. And I remember in my head, I was like, like us? He looped you right in it. I was like, what the fuck is he talking about like us? But yeah, I mean, artists are 100% entrepreneurs. And once I made that shift in my head, I think I was able to cultivate that with more consciousness. You know, um, the bulk majority of listeners to this show are entrepreneurs, aspiring entrepreneurs. And there's so many things I applaud them for. And when I look at my own journey, and when I hear about many of their journeys, one of the downfalls of being a driven entrepreneur is you can be so focused on what you have not yet achieved or what somebody Mm -hmm. else has that you don't have, uh, that you can forget to be grateful for what you do have. And you can forget to, to take a look at where you came from and what you do have. And there's so many people mm. that run around feeling like they're broke or they don't have any abundance when really they have so much that somebody else would be wishing for. Mm. And yeah, I mean, that, that thing that you just said is a disease. Yeah, 
Exactly. It is. It, it's a societal disease mm-hmm. and everyone has it to some degree, including me. Yeah. I mean, you know, even the title of this book, Inquire Within, I mean, you know, if you look at the, the cover, which will get you a copy immediately, the cover is, um, you know, the tree mm-hmm. and the branches mirror the roots. Mm-hmm. And if you turn it to the side, it looks like lungs. Oh, wow. Oh, and, brilliant. Uh, and the two halves of the book are inhale and exhale. Wow. And inhale is just uh, the personal poems. It's like the poetic kind of hero's journey about my life, you know, being raised uh, by a single mother who was a school teacher, not, you know, meeting my dad until I was 15, everything I kind of went through to uh, come to that. Uh, never-ending journey of being right here, right now, you know? Um, And then, you know, the exhale is kind of the social and political stuff. Mm -hmm. And it's change yourself, you know, and then you can change the world. And and yet part of the disease that we're talking about and what a lot of this book, I think, as a conceptual through line gets at is that consumerism in general has basically taught us to constantly seek validation externally outside of ourselves and to search for the answers outside of ourselves. And if I don't know something these days, it's like, what do I do? I, I look it up on Google or I like go on YouTube, you know? And while technology is amazing and this conversation, there's no way to quantify how it will impact people who are listening or not impact. Which is <laughs> It'll definitely impact them. But they're, they're, that's the point. It, it, we don't know where the ripples go. We're we're not even in the same room right now, and and we're chatting. And I'm I'm looking you in the eyes. I feel connected to you. And now it's going to go out. You know this this has connected the world, man. Yeah. And yet simultaneously, people feel more isolated than they ever have. They feel more alone. They feel more disconnected from their community, more disconnected from their own voice. And I think that there is a difference between us using these tools. And having these tools use us, mm-hmm. which is what's happening oftentimes these mm-hmm. days. And so, you know, to anybody who's listening to this right now, if you have something that's going on that you can't figure out, you know, of course you can go outside of yourself for that. You know, you can ask a friend, you can consult a coach, and those things are amazing things to do. But also, I would say put your phone away, you know, put your computer away. And go somewhere to just be by yourself mm-hmm. and to a, you know, sit in nature or just sit in your living room you know, and turn everything off and allow all of the noise of this modern external world to fall down so that you can hear your own true voice because that is the voice that is going to give you direction in your life. It's going to tell you your purpose. It's going to tell you your passion and it's going to be your compass. And so... That's why I inquire within. You know, I had to inquire within myself to create this book. People have to inquire within the pages of it, and they have to ultimately inquire within themselves. And I hope that this this poetry book is like a window into people hearing their own true voice. I absolutely know it's going to be, and I have no idea if this poem is in that book, if it made the book or not. But the way that I inquire within, so to speak, is I'll go on a lot of walks. Many of Mm -hmm. them with Lori, many of them by myself. And I will listen to whether it's a podcast, whether it's music, whether it's some of your poetry, very intentionally to things that I think are going to heal me or give me what I need while I'm on that walk. And mm. referencing back to how when you're hard uh, when you're a hard charging entrepreneur or artist or anybody who has big goals, you can get lost and stop counting the blessings for what you have. You have a poem that I love, that I listen to when I want to be reminded about counting my blessings of what I do have and not wishing I wanted something that someone else has. And I call it the Vaughn's poem only because it's it takes place in a Vaughn's parking lot and I'm very familiar with Vaughn's right here in Santa yeah. Monica. What's the title of that poem? And is there any chance that you would share it with us? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's called Whistle. And uh, I mean, really, I think ultimately this poem is about this statement, which is not in the poem, but it's that there's never an end to more. Mm, You know, if more is your goal, 
Yeah, that's powerful. You're never going to get there. There's no way to quench it. Yeah. So uh, this is called Whistle. This one time, I saw a dude who worked for Vons collecting stacks of shopping carts in the parking lot with only one arm. This is a true story, by the way. Now, I should say that on this particular day, I had been feeling down about myself. Depressed about some stupid shit. Complaining in my head that I'm not as far along as I would like to be. That life is victimizing me. And mind you, I was buying food at the time. To put into my car, to put into my house, to put into my fridge, to put into my mouth. And that's when I saw him. Ten carts deep, pushing them with one arm down the street, whistling. Now, I swear he was whistling. Do you know how happy I would have to be to spontaneously pucker up my lips like I was about to blow a kiss and open up a bit and push some air from my esophagus into a higher pitch? Shit. Really fucking happy. Anyway, back to this dude. First thought I had, I'll admit, was a bit rude, but hear me out before you boo. See, I was confused because if I was in his shoes and I had to choose a job, this would not be the job I'd choose. And I know that sounds hardcore, but honestly, this is one of the jobs that I would want two arms for. Now, that being said, this particular dude was an absolute gangster. The arm he had looked like it was strong enough to be the anchor on an oil tanker. Like he could have been Arnold Schwarzenegger's trainer back when he was starring in The Terminator. And it woke me up like the scent from a cup of Sanka. So I went home and wrote this poem as an ode to thank him. See, it really got me thinking about my situation. Why the fuck am I complaining? This world is full of people maintaining. No matter who you are or where you're from, we all have to wake up every day and accept the fact that we don't know where we'll go or why we've come. And that can cause confusion. So we distract ourselves and focus on amusement instead of self-improvement, a mutually agreed upon collective delusion. But with this much stimulus and this little understanding, it's no wonder we don't all just completely freaking lose it. I mean, genius and insanity are closer than they seem. Your perspective is the difference between your nightmares and your dreams. Because if everything is energy and my body is a vessel, then my struggle is unique. But that doesn't make it special. And this dude here had the guts to up and whistle with a fistful of shopping carts that he guided like a missile. And it blew me away like a sneeze into a tissue that someone who has seemingly so many issues could be unequivocally so blissful while someone who's as lucky as I am could be self-creating problems by the listful. So from this point on, If my thoughts start thinking they're important or my feelings start feeling distorted, I'm going to sort them into categories to see if I can change them. If I can, I'll simply make the moves to rearrange them. If I can't, I'll acknowledge them but won't engage them. I'll gather up my confidence and courage as I face them and That's amazing. I'm over here clapping like a fool by myself in in my office right now. Like that is the greatest reframe of perspective ever. I wanted people to get that gift. If you listen to that and you don't immediately appreciate where you're at, then you got a lot more work to do than we all thought. That's incredible. Thanks, brother. Well, I'm just saying it. You know, I'm I'm the first person in my audience. I wanted to say that to myself, and then. It's a gift that I get to share that with you and any of your listeners or anytime I do it on stage because it just reaffirms you know, me trying to live the best life that I can. Is that one in the book? Yeah. Yeah, that one's in the book. I'm so curious. When I am reading the book versus mm-hmm. hearing you do it 
Yeah. Am I going to receive things differently? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question, man. This was one of the best artistic experiences of my life. I mean, I can't stress that enough. Like, I feel that I am a better everything after going through uh, making this book, Inquire Within. And, uh, and so there was two different ways that we wanted to make sure that people could consume it. There's the book that they can hold in their hand, you know, and then there's the audio book that people can listen to. And in the book, we worked with an amazing, amazing illustrator. And so we have like 60 illustrations in the book that were all specifically created to help people kind of dive deeper into their experience of the poetry. So it's almost like a Shel Silverstein-esque experience. And then we worked really, really hard on the formatting because we wanted to make sure that the formatting was really unique and really interesting. And so to read the book is really a beautiful experience because people get all of that and then they get to hear it in their own voice and they get to take time with every word or every poem. And there's definitely a conceptual through line in the first half and in the second half and in the whole book completely. There, there is one story that I'm kind of telling in a, in a jagged way. So that's one way people can consume it. And then the other way is getting the audiobook, which in the same, like, I mean, I, I'm so proud of that. It's we narrated worked, by you, right? Yeah, man. I, it's two and a half hours, man. And I, we, we worked so hard to make sure we were doing justice to the pieces. It wasn't like, I just got in the studio and read it straight through. I, I made sure I looked at it like I was making a double album or something like that. And I really feel proud of what we created, and everybody that's heard it so far has been really blown away. And so I hope that people, you know, put this book in their backpack and travel around the country with it. And then I hope people take shrooms and listen to the audio book. You know, <laughs> I hope this is a book that like gets passed down generation generationally. But the audio book piece of it. It's going to become a staple in, in my practice, in, in what I do on a regular basis. The fact that it's read by you, narrated by you, it'll be a one-stop shop of everything that I feel like are really good life's lessons and, and life's reminders. Could I ever beg you to do one more? Yeah, of course, man. Um, 85 is the first one that really hooked Lori and I. The first time that we ever heard it, we're like, who is this guy? We're going down the rabbit hole. We're all in because it really reached the two of us. And it has your relationship specifically yeah, too. Exactly. Yeah. So I would love if you'd be willing to share that with the listeners. Yeah, absolutely. Let me give you a little bit of background about this because I think it's kind of important context. So um, I used to live in this tiny little back house, and it was a real blessing for me to live there because I was still struggling, you know, and I could almost put both of my arms out and touch. The walls. I mean, that's how small this place was. And I lived there for like six years. And a lot of my material was written there. And, you know, I would just smoke weed and kind of go insane <laughs> in this tiny little room, you know. But I could get by living there. And it was, it was really a blessing, as I said. And the woman who owned the main house, uh, her mom moved in at a certain point. Her name's Dolores. And she was in her 80s. And we shared a kitchen. And so her and I would like, have coffee together or we would eat and we would talk about life and love. And at the time, I would like complain about my ex-girlfriends or whatever was going on with me. And uh, I came to really care about her. And then one night after she was there for six months or more, I like woke up, it was three in the morning and I looked outside the window and there was the ambulance lights. You know, I could see them and I saw her getting literally taken away on a stretcher. And she was still alive, but she was having major health complications. So I went and I visited her in the hospital and the doctors kind of gave her a bad prognosis. She had uh, tubes in and out of her system, uh, very high fever. She didn't recognize me. So I sat with her for like an hour and I just basically said my goodbyes to her because I didn't want her to be in pain anymore and I loved her. But uh, of course, Dolores ends up getting better. You know, she wasn't done fighting. And when she got better enough, they moved her into a retirement community. And after her being there for about a month, I went and I visited her in the retirement community. And we were sitting outside in this like garden area and she was in a really good mood. So I said, Dolores, why are you in such a good mood? And she leans in and she goes, it's because I met a guy. <laughs> and how old is she at that point? She's in her 80s. Oh She's my like gosh. Mid 80s or something like that. And so she tells me this story that she met this guy 
when she got there and they just liked each other. You know, I mean, I'm not going to say it was like this fairy tale thing and they fell in love. I actually don't know ultimately what happened. But the point is, is that she was excited about something. She was surprised by something. And here I thought that her life was over. I, I literally was saying my goodbyes to her. And not only did she survive, but she was able to be alive again. Wow. Wow. You know, and so it's like that's another thing to anybody listening to this. It doesn't matter how old you are. If you're not able to be surprised by life and excited by life, you're not truly living it. And it's infinite possibilities in every single moment and around any corner you can find anything, even love. So I ended up writing this poem. It's called 85. I want to fall in love at 85. Go on shuffleboard dates and dance to hip hop from 95. We would also listen to the song Staying Alive, but only for the message. Otherwise, we'd keep away from disco. It's depressing. We'd rock matching tracksuits and rope gold chains. We'd look like Run DMC, but in their old age. We take aerobics classes and wear bifocal glasses and eat at IHOP and hold hands at Sunday masses. And when it comes to the bedroom, well, nothing much would happen in the bedroom because we're 85. But we would still be down to take a walk or take a drive or sit and talk and have a drink, watch the passers-by, ask each other why and how and who and where and when, and then we'd laugh and cry again about the people we had been. And I would touch her withered skin and comment on how thin it is to keep in something infinite. And she would smile sweet and blush and tell me that I think too much. She's right. I think too much. It's always been a problem. But then again, that's how I made my green like the goblin. When I was in my 20s, I was eating top ramen, counting up my pennies, saving up to go food shopping. But now I'm 85, and somehow I feel more alive. I turned my hearing aid up and bumped Jurassic 5. I read the sports page while she peruses classifieds. We like antique stores, garage sales, and barter buys. When it comes to the bedroom, well, hopefully, every once in a while, she lets me knock her boots into the floral patterns of our bedpost, then hold her head close like death isn't chasing us, planning on erasing us and replacing us with better versions of us, reshaping us, remaking us, then recreating us with new identities so we can make new memories. Hush, little baby. Learn to walk and talk and think and lie and feel and fight and love and die and never get the answers why. She dips a joint of grass and wheatgrass and we get high. Her hair is silver as the moon in the Miami sky. We still pop pills, but it's not the molly anymore. Whenever we can't sleep, we listen to the ocean floor. She got a sound of the CCD for me from the Brookstone store. And ever since, I've been snoring like a... Like a really good metaphor for snoring. Sorry, I go blank sometimes. What? I'm 85. I'm not complaining. I'm just happy that I'm still alive. And happy that I have my better half by my side. Super fly. She doesn't look a day over 75. Woo! When I first saw her, I was totally in awe. She was classical. So I was like, yo, yo, ma. And that was all it took. A single look and I was sure. I fell for her like some loose shingles from our Spanish roof. And I'm a lover till she loses every last root and has to glue dentures to her gums to chew solid food. Ooh. Now that's real love, dude. That's some push comes to shove, love. Not when it's convenient, love. Hospital bed, love. Feed her ice chips, love. Never leave the room, love. Sleeping in the chair, love. <laughs> 
Prada up above love. Have to pull the plug, love. Miss her in my bones, love. Everything about her, love. Die within a month, love. Can't live without her, love. Love. The only reason that we are alive. And none of us should have to wait until we're 85. God, I love that freaking poem so much. You know, you can see me, the, the listeners can't see me, but it's it's so moving to me because I think that's when people strip away all the other bullshit, I feel like that's the goal that everyone's after. Mm. I feel like you you have that and and that's part of the reason maybe why you're I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but no, why you get emotional. You're hundred percent on is because I literally picture Lori and I as you narrate this thing right down to sadly enough, you know, the ice chips and and, and everything. And yeah. uh, because I can feel that love, I can feel what all those, the highs that you describe and the lows that you describe, I can viscerally feel them. Yeah. You know, I mean, when I wrote it, even though it was about Dolores, it was also about what I wanted. Yeah. And at that time, I didn't have that type of uh, soulmate love. And I, I use that word, you know, knowing that there's many different definitions for many different people. And probably many different soulmates for many different people. But when you find someone that you just match with, you know, that's your best friend, that's what I'm talking about when I say that. And I've been with uh, my girlfriend for two years. So we're still at the beginning stages of, you know, starting our life together. But um, I'm so grateful that I uh, manifested that almost through this poem and waited until I had that type of connection with someone. And it's not that it's always easy, but it, it's always worth it. And to your point, which is really the true point, you wouldn't know those highs without having the comparison point of knowing that we we give everything up in the end, you know, including everyone we, we love, our our bodies, our identities. And that, even though it's so painful, makes this life so much more sweet. It's it's you're so spot on. And quick like I know there's no way you could ever truly know the number, but how many times do you think that you recited that poem before you met your current girlfriend? I mean, probably thousands. Think about, is that the ultimate manifesting or what? Like the ultimate calling in what you want? Reciting that thing thousands of times? Yeah, you know, I'll tell you a story, man. And I I wrote wrote about this in the book as well. And it'll come full circle. I write about the differences between ideas and ideologies, you know, um, and how, oh, no, actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell a different story. This is actually a better story. Okay. So, but you can get the book if you want to hear the ideas. <laughs> I love it. But no, this, this is actually a better story for this. So, okay. One time I came home and this was after a bad breakup. And I was like, I'm going to write my breakup poem. I was going to write a new breakup poem because I was like kind of distraught over this breakup at the time. And I get back to my house. And before I decide to write this poem, I'm like, you know, let me just read over all of my old breakup poems first. And I'm embarrassed to admit there were nine of them. (laughs) Okay. Now I want to make it clear that there weren't nine different women. (laughs) Some of them were doubled up, of course. But there were nine breakup poems, bro. Wow. That's like 30 minutes of material. So I sat there and I read them in a row, like out loud to myself. Like all of this stuff about relationships that hadn't worked out. And when I finished, I was like, oh, okay, I don't need to write a new breakup poem because all of my old breakup poems, unfortunately, are applicable to my current breakup. Mm, You saw a pattern. I did. And I realized, okay, I need to figure out why I'm continuing to create the same lesson in a different disguise over and over again. And that was a really pivotal point for me, man, in my life and in my art, because I realized that I had an unsustainable fuel source, that I was perpetuating some of these stories and some of this negativity that I had. And I was then manifesting it to myself and to my audience. And from that point on, I said to myself, I'm never going to ignore my pain. I'm going to write from my pain, but 
but I'm always going to wind up in hope and empowerment. I love that. And, and, and that was a really, really conscious decision for me. And, uh, and so that's what I've tried to give to myself and give to my audience. And so I think that that poem 85 was a part of that next wave of material that came. And, uh, and then every time I said it out loud, I felt even though there was pain and longing in there, it was for what I wanted to create. And I hope that when people hear that, they feel that as well. You know, I can absolutely attest to the fact that I, I hear that, I feel that in all the poems you do, even sensitive subjects, politics, society, the problems we face. You are able to so eloquently discuss what's going on, but end up in hope or almost give advice or wake up calls as you work through some of these issues. And mm-hmm. I for sure, well, I can only speak for myself, it wakes you up and it makes you take note of issues that maybe you were just glazing over before. So what you're doing in doing this in a way that delivers hope instead of just concentrating on the negative, I think is really impactful and really powerful for helping to heal society and all the things that we're, we're facing. Thank you, man. Yeah, you know, I don't strategize my inspiration. And what I mean by that is I don't think like, you know, especially for the social and political things, but even for the personal things, I don't think what does my audience want to hear? Yeah. You know, I don't, I don't start poems that way. I don't think what is a social topic that will go viral? Mm-hmm. That's fucking boring to me. Mm-hmm. Instead, I want to pay attention to when I'm inspired, when I'm moved, you know, when I'm annoyed or angry at something. And then if I start my poems there and I give it enough time and space, the rest of the poem will almost write itself. Strategizing inspiration is one step away from manipulation. Mm-hmm. And I don't judge anyone else's process if that works for them. You know, they can make amazing art, I'm sure. But for me, it co-ops my voice. And so, you know, I try not to do it. And because of that, I'm surprised at where the poems wind up in the end. You know, and the only thing that I try to make sure of is that I wind up with that hope and empowerment for myself and for other people. Now, if I'm doing a social or political poem, sometimes I'll write a piece that doesn't end up in a place where I give any answers because mm-hmm. I don't know the answers. Yeah. Sometimes it's a more problem oriented poem, but it's still only to wake people up. And then the next thing that I'll bring is more solution minded. Um, and so that's something I, I try to stay aware of. And in, in that poem, 85, as an example, you know, there was a point where that poem, I wasn't sure if it was over. Yeah. And it was before I went into the ice chips love. And, mm-hmm. and it was before that. It, it ended, I don't know exactly where it was, but it ended in a place that felt relatively complete. And yet some part of me knew that it wasn't. And so a couple of weeks after I had thought it was done and I hadn't performed it for anybody, I just like looked it up on my phone again and, and I got that next line. And that led me into that whole other part. And I think that the poem wouldn't be so full circle uh, and it wouldn't have felt fully done unless I had followed that breadcrumb trail. You know, it's like the Picasso quote or it's either Picasso or Van Gogh. He said, how do you know you're done with the painting? It's, well, how do you know you're done making love? Yeah, 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 exactly. You know, you just know. Yeah. And so uh, anyway, I, I, I try to leave with hope and empowerment, but I also try to be surprised by my pieces. Which is also probably what's going to make this a feel-good book, right? It's not a book where you read through it and you're, you're bawling your eyes out because it's a bunch of depressing poetry. This is a book that if you need a pick-me-up, you can just open to any freaking page, I'm guessing, and know that you're going to end with that hope and that inspiration. Yeah. I mean, the, the book is really about transforming your pain into growth. Mm-hmm. It's ultimately a book about alchemy. And I think that art is really alchemy. Yeah. I mean, at its best, mm-hmm. you know, we take all the experiences of the human condition and you know, share them through our specific voice, through our specific time, through our specific genre, and allow people to feel less alone. Yeah. And we are all going through this human shit together, no matter what your circumstances are, no matter what your experience is, you know, uh, the details of your specific life, your specific trauma, even if you don't understand your trauma and, and there's no way to make sense of it, even if it's, you know, unfathomable. 
You know, we all have the same human emotions around these things. And I think that if we realized that we were all in this together and, uh, you know, really connected to that, then it would create much more empathy. And I think empathy is what the world needs most right now. Because a lot of our problems are about uh, separation, Mm -hmm. me over you, rather than realizing, you know, we're spinning in the middle of fucking space, man. (laughs) You know, nobody knows what we're doing here. You know, it's it's time for us to unite because otherwise we're going to devolve when we have an opportunity now to evolve to the next stage of consciousness. Yeah, Man, I, I, I couldn't agree more. I want to be conscious of your time. Do you have a couple more minutes? Oh yeah, I'm straight, man. Okay. I'm, I'm enjoying chatting with you. All right. so. Wonderful. I didn't, I didn't know if you had anything else coming up here. Uh, the book comes out March 31st. Yeah. And where's the best place for people to grab it? So uh, you can go to my website at in-q.com. Um, we partnered up, uh, as I said, with Harper One, and mm-hmm. so it should be in, like, of course, Barnes and Noble. You know, you can get it on Amazon, but also we tried to get it in as many independent bookstores as we could. Okay. So uh, hopefully, it's around the country um, and ultimately the world in uh, independent bookstores as well, which is really the lifeblood. But get it anywhere you can, and when you do get it. You know, reach out to me on social media. Let me know that you got it. Let me know what you think. I'm at NQ Life on uh, Instagram. And, and uh, I certainly would love to connect with anyone who's listening. So number one, go out and get the book, whether it's independent bookstores or whether you can find it online. Trust me, get your hands on, inquire within. Uh, number two, let's do something fun. Uh, yeah. I know you don't know this is coming, but I would love to buy 10 books and give them wow. out to 10 random people that... Uh, tag both you and I on Instagram with their takeaway or their favorite part of this episode. So if it was something that NQ said, if it was is something that moved you, whatever it is, we will choose 10 random people and send one book to each. I'm happy to buy those and send those out. Uh, but it really feels good. Dude, thank you, man. Of course, it really feels good uh, to both NQ and, and to myself to when we see your feedback and when we actually know what you're learning from the episode or what touched you or reached you. And, and so I'd love to incentivize that. That's first of all, very, very nice of you. I genuinely appreciate that. That means a lot to me. And uh, yeah, I would love for your listeners to, to have these 10 copies. I'll make sure to sign them as well. And I would say like, you know, I, I don't know what your experience is in terms of people coming up to you and saying how they've been affected by you putting this art out into the world and, your Instagram posts and all of this stuff, which I know is about empowerment and people bettering themselves. And of course, you're taking your own medicine first as we all are. Um, But I would say like my best compliment is not when someone comes up and says they thought something or they felt something. It's actually when someone comes up and they said they did something. You know that... And many people have done that to me, man. And I'm always so humbled and so grateful because... All that art is, is a mirror for people to see whatever it is that they need to see in their own reflection. And so if they get something from this mirror that actually makes them do something positive in reality, I mean, that is, that is absolutely the highest compliment. And uh, so tell us how you think, tell us how you feel, and tell us what you did. Tag you know? us on Instagram. Tell us what you're changing or what you implemented. That would be best. And we will give 10 of you books. And you said you'd sign them. That's awesome. That makes it for even sure. better. I love it. Okay, so just a couple more uh, questions for you real quick. You have a tour coming up. Is this basically a live version of the book or what's the tour? Yeah, so um, we're starting out in New York, San Fran, and uh, Los Angeles. And uh, New York is March 28th. And then uh, San Fran is April 1st. And then Los Angeles is April 3rd. And all of that information is on my website as well. And I'll just be doing uh, you know, a live performance, which is about probably an hour or something like that, and telling stories in between and uh, connecting with the audience, some crowd participation stuff, and mostly telling a shorter conceptual through line of uh, what the poetic journey is of, of Inquire Within. And anyone who gets a ticket to the show winds up getting a book as well. Um, you know, we're just trying to spread this message far and wide. I'm really, you know, shit at self-promotion. I've never been good at it. I've never even been interested at it. You know, if you and I were out, I wouldn't be like, yo, Chris and I are at the fucking thing. Yeah. No, I would I would just want to be with you and and really connect with you and dive deep like we have. And and yet it is a joy for me to promote this book. 
It is the first product I've ever had. And by product, of course, I mean home for my art. Mm -hmm. And I see it as separate from myself. Yeah. You know, I have a line in the book that says the art is more important than the artist is. And, you know, all of these poems, they've been living, breathing documents for me that, you know, have evolved and changed as I've evolved and changed. And I've, you know, performed around the country and the world for years and years and years. And then I just disappear. So to actually have them out of my system, you know, they have a life of their own now. And I just, I want them to go wherever it is that they need to go. So it's a joy to promote it. Well, I'm happy to help promote this thing because I believe in it. I believe in you. Uh, Lori and I, I just looked on the calendar as you were saying that we're totally coming on April 4th to the Great. LA I'm going to get you guys uh, VIP tickets 100%. Man. Oh, man. Thank you. Thank you. That means Done. the world. I'm literally going to bring friends, family, like my parents. I want as many people as possible to experience it. So they can get tickets at in-q.com, right? Exactly. Yeah. All right. And so, yeah, Lori and I are coming for sure. And we're dragging awesome. a posse with us. I can't wait to come support that thing. Awesome. We'll roll out whatever red carpet we have, man. It's oh, going to be man. a really incredible night, man. It's going to be truly epic. I would imagine just knowing the the friends that we share and, and the circle of influence that we share, it's going to be some of the greatest, kindest, most awesome human beings ever at the LA gathering. Yeah. I'm, I'm always like... I'm always happy that I've gotten invited to my own shows because <laughs> it's just, it's an amazing vibe, man. It's just really, you know, seekers. Yeah. And that's what I try to surround myself with. I don't care about money or success or anything like that. I compare, I care about are people kind to each other? You know, are they trying to be kind to themselves and are they trying to grow into a better version of themselves on a day to day basis? Uh, that's what lights me up as, as a friend and, and certainly. You know, that's what I try to surround myself with. I love that. Well, to get more of that, make sure you go follow NQ at in-qlife on Instagram. And in yeah, there's no dash. In, there's no in, dash on Instagram. Okay, in Q Life on Instagram. Exactly. exactly. And in Q.com to grab your tickets and, of course, the book. All right, last but not least, um, give me a reason why people should be more unapologetic about their pursuit of getting their art out there in the world? Because, you know, we don't have that long in this experience. You know, I mean, it, it seems like a long time. Life seems like a long time, you know, and it is if we're lucky. But it's not when you look back, you know, and so the real question is what are you gonna do with your time? Are you gonna live on someone else's time? Are you going to live someone else's idea of who you should be? You know, I mean, you don't belong to anyone. Mm -hmm. You belong to the world. You're, you know, bigger than any role that anyone has put on you or you've put on yourself. And that's why I want this book to be a window into people hearing their true voice. Um, and, you know, I, I said this to my friend the other day. I was like, you know, if you only had one minute to live, I'll, I'll ask you this. If you only had one minute to live, what would you do? I'd grab Lori and I would try to talk to as many of my like parents and brother and just my real loved ones as possible and tell them I loved them. Yeah. And that, so that's beautiful. And that's my answer too. If I was around people or if I had a phone, right? You know, I would call my girlfriend, I would call my mom, mm -hmm. you know. But if I was alone, and I didn't have any means of connecting with anyone. If I could get over my fear and I could just really be present, I would feel the air around me. I would look at all of the colors. You know, I would take my next deep breath. I would, you know, feel my body. You know, I would smell whatever it was that was around me. Hopefully I was outside in a pasture somewhere and I would just connect to what it means to be alive. And it's really a beautiful gift to be alive, man. I mean, the chances of you even being born are insane. You know, so what I would say is we don't need to wait until we have one minute left. You know, you can stop at any moment and look around like kids do. And just be in awe mm -hmm. of this unbelievable human experience. And I'm not saying that everything's good all the time. Shit is fucked up. Everything is happening simultaneously. Somebody's 
you know, making love and someone's getting murdered. It is all here and it is all happening, but it's also amazing Mm -hmm. that we get to go on that ride. And so if all we have is now in this life, don't you want to spend it pursuing something that lights you up? And I'm not saying that you don't have responsibility to other things, of course, but nothing that you choose to do in your life is an obligation. And I'm talking to myself. Yeah. Yeah. You're talking to all of us. Trust me. You're talking to all of us. I love that. In Q, I appreciate you, buddy. Like this goes down as one of my all time favorite episodes. I think one of the most important things in the world is that we stay hyper present to what we do have not what we don't have. And you help remind us to do that on a regular basis. And I can't wait Dude. for the book to come out. And remember everyone, share your favorite takeaway or your action, what you're going to do differently now that you've heard this. And we'll give a random 10 of you one book each. Share it on Instagram, tag us both. I just want to say thank you so much for having me, Chris. I really do appreciate it. And you know, I think I said this to Lori too, but I truly mean this. I know you've developed a relationship with your listeners and they trust you. And so I really honor and acknowledge the fact that you brought me along and you trusted me with this moment. It means a lot. You know, it doesn't go unnoticed. And I wanted to say thank you out loud. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thanks for listening. And if you loved this episode and know of someone else who is as successful as they are generous, please pass them on to me. It would mean the world to me if you help me get this cause and this message out to as many listeners as I can. So please, if you liked what you heard, it goes a long way if you take 30 seconds and leave me a five-star review and share this with your friends. I'll be forever grateful. And until the next episode, cheers to your success.